Psalm 34. It's a chapter I reference quite a bit. In fact, of all of the Psalms, I think I've maybe preached out of this one more in my pastorate than any other. And uh, this is, um, I don't know that I'll go as far as saying it's my favorite Psalm, but it's one I really, really enjoy. And I think that uh, this morning we're going to get a, a fresh perspective on where our focus is, a fresh perspective on where our focus is, because I think life gets so busy and hectic, we get focused on all the wrong things, and then the next thing you know, we're in a downward tailspin, and life gets ugly on us, and so we're going to look at getting that focus back where it ought to be. Stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Psalm 34, we're going to look at the first six verses To begin, we'll be looking at much more of the chapter as we go. Psalm 34. I'll begin in verse 1, and as is our custom, we'll read responsibly, beginning together in verse 2. The Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Together, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear her thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him, and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The title of our sermon this morning comes from the first phrase in verse 3, and here it is, O magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord. Boy, I can't think of a better thing to do than to put the magnifying glass on God and who He is. And let's just focus on Him for a little bit and see what that does for our hearts. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, You are a God who is good in every way. There is no evil in You, no evil to be found. You are integritous. You are pure. You're all-powerful, but Lord, know how to control that. You're all-knowing, but never use that knowledge to damage or wound Uh, You're ever-present, but Lord, even in our privacy and even knowing our private matters, you're a God who still loves us and cares for us in spite of all of our flaws. Lord, as we put the magnifying glass on you this morning, may we leave here determined to leave it there. Lord, may that be regular in our lives, that we magnify you, that we lift you up, and Lord, that we just learn to focus on you and your goodness. Help us this morning as we seek to do that. Draw us closer to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, desperate times had called for desperate matters in the life of David. King Saul had sent men to kill him in his home. David had escaped out of a window, and his wife um, made a mannequin, put it in bed, and made it appear as though David was there and lied to cover up Uh, his uh, escape and lied about him being sick. David was running scared for his life from Saul. Saul had already tried to pin him to the wall twice with a javelin, and it was becoming more and more apparent that his estranged father-in-law wanted him dead. David failed in this stage of the game to reach out to God for help and instead relied on himself and focused on himself and his own wherewithal and his own resources and um, uh, in order for himself to stay out of trouble and uh, uh, avoid him getting killed. The question today is this, who are you magnifying? 
Who are you magnifying? Are you looking to promote your cause, your name, your well-being, or are you looking to promote His cause, His name, and the well-being of others? His cause, His name, the well-being of others, or your own name, your own cause, and your own well-being. We'll see through the story of David that when we magnify ourselves, we, uh, we bring great hurt and pain into our world and into the uh, lives of those around us. But when we magnify the Lord, we allow Him to do the things that He does best. Let me encourage you to take your Bibles out of Psalm 34, just in the introduction here. Turn over to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel, 20, or rather, it's 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel chapter number 21, and we'll be in Psalm 34 for much of the message. Here in the intro, we're going to look at Psalm, uh, 1, 1 Samuel 21 and 22. Now, let me say as you're finding your way over there that so many people have read these stories we're going to look at, and they look at them through a humanistic standpoint. They look at them and say, well, of course David did that, and David was justified in doing that, and, and, and David had no choice but to choose these sets of events, and we call this situational ethics. Situational ethics, and uh, uh, letting the end justify the means. And uh, I, as long as the result turns out the way I want and that I'm pressed to get to, then my behavior is justified um, uh, in order to get that result, that desired result. And we'll see that David in 1 Samuel 21 lives by a set of situational ethics and does all kinds of things he shouldn't have done. Let me give you uh, three thoughts by way of introduction of uh, things that happen when we magnify ourselves. Find a spot somewhere on your bulletin. Jot these down if you can. When we magnify ourselves, number one, we justify our sin. We justify our sin. When we magnify ourselves, we justify our sin. All of a sudden, whatever we need to do in order to get by, our sin becomes okay because... The emphasis is on me and promoting my name and my cause and my well-being. And so now I'm going to justify my sin because the desired result is that I am promoted. I am pushed forward. And what I want, my causes are advanced. This is exactly what David did here. Look at 1 Samuel 21. Look at verse number 1. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now let's pause the reading here. This is a bold-faced lie. The king did not send David on business. And I heard someone say once, well, the king of heaven sent him on business. Well, that's a stretch. That's stretching the passage. If David meant the king of heaven, he should have said the king of heaven. He's talking about Saul. He's saying Saul sent him here. He's running from Saul. Can we see that David is running from Saul? Now, he's scared for his life. And in all fairness... I don't know that I would have handled things different if I were in Saul's shoes. All right? I'm not throwing stones at, at David. God gave us this story so we could have an understanding of what happens when we live by magnifying ourselves. So we see David lying to Ahimelech the priest. And look at verse 3. Now, therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, 
or, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women, and David answered the priest and said to them, Of a truth, women have been kept uh, from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is a manner common. Yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So, uh, what's going on here is the priest has got this showbread that is in uh, the temple and he's going through the ritual of the showbread. And without going into all of the Jewish custom of what that was, this bread was not supposed to be made available to David and his men. In fact, David and his men had no right eating this bread. This bread was holy. This bread was for the Lord it was and for the priest. It was not meant for David and his men. But David and his men are on the run from Saul. They've been running for a few days now. They're hungry. And uh, and when you're hungry and you're desperate, you're willing to break things. You're willing to break laws and justify your sin. And so David says, well, we haven't been with women for three days, so at the least, just give it to us. And he really presses the priest here and says, give us this bread. We see that David is magnifying himself, his own um, uh, name, his cause, uh, his well-being, and in doing so, he justifies his sin. Number two, when we magnify ourselves, our judgment becomes clouded. Our judgment becomes clouded. Look down to verse number 10 of the same chapter. 1 Samuel 21, look down to verse number 10, and David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath, and he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad or insane or loony uh, in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see the man is mad. This man's lost his mind. Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of a madman uh, that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence and shall uh, follow and shall and th- uh, shall this fellow come into my house? David's judgment is clouded. Now he's put himself in harm's way. He's on the run from Saul. Instead of God guiding him and leading him to a place of safety, he's leaning on his own understanding to get him to a place of safety. And he takes himself into hostile enemy territory and uh, he's recognized. Why is he recognized? Because early on, after David had slain Goliath, he was put in charge. He was general of all of the Israeli army. And David was leading uh, soldiers to war. The entire Israeli army, he was taking them into war and he was winning battles. And that portion of 1 Samuel, we'll see on Sunday evenings, beginning here in a couple of weeks, the Bible says he behaved himself wisely and, and, and his name became famed. And in fact, when David would come back from war, he would ride through the little villages and towns and the ladies would stand in the perth of their homes and they would cry out and say, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And David was hailed as a folk hero, which led to the jealousy of Saul chasing down David. And now David has leaned on his own understanding. He's gone to an area he shouldn't have been. He's been captured. He's been brought in uh, because of his fame. He's noticed he's been brought into the presence of Achish, the king of Gath. And now David, it looks like David is going to be killed. So what does David do? David fakes like he's crazy. David fakes like he's crazy. He starts 
uh, uh, just you know maybe shaking his head real funny, and he goes over to the, the, the he goes over to the gate and he starts scratching on the gate, and he lets spit start running down his beard, and Achish is looking at him and saying, "This guy's lost. Who is this guy? He." You see the spot David's put himself in by leaning on his own understanding? He's magnifying himself. He's promoting his own name, his own causes, his own well-being. And he's not magnifying the Lord. He's not letting the Lord lead him. He's led himself to a bad place. He's found himself in a bad situation. And now he's got to act like a crazy man in order to get out of the mess he's created for himself. What happens when we magnify ourselves? Well, we begin to justify our sin. Our judgment becomes clouded. Notice number three, we jeopardize the well-being of others. We jeopardize the well-being of others. Look at uh, 1 Samuel 22 and look at verse number 11. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahatub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. What's going on here? Word got back to, uh, to Saul that David had come and he had taken the showbread and he had gotten Goliath's sword. Word got back to Saul that Ahimelech was aiding and abetting the, 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 um, uh, the, uh, the what do you call it when someone's on the run? Help me out here. The fugitive, that's the word. You ever have that happen where you just, okay. It's tough up here, guys. Give me, cut me some slack, okay? The fugitive. All right, he's aiding and abetting the fugitive David and, Saul is ticked off because he feels Ahimelech has disrespected him in some way. And Saul's not going to have it. He's not going to have it. So he calls Ahimelech. And we know that Saul has no respect for the priests. You remember we talked a couple of weeks ago how that Saul performed the sacrifice and didn't wait for Samuel. And Samuel had gone in and said, uh, God's ripping the kingdom away from you. So now Saul is embittered toward God. Saul does not like God. So Saul does not like God's man. He does not respect God's man. And so uh, did Ahimelech do anything wrong? No. Ahimelech had no idea why David was there. David lied to him. David set up Ahimelech. Look down at verse number 18. And the king said to Doeg, turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and fell upon the priest, and slew on that day fourscore and five or eighty-five persons that did wear a linen ephod. David's magnifying himself caused eighty-five priests to be put in harm's way and killed. Now, I know there's a critic in the crowd that says, David did not run his sword through Ahimelech and his men. That was Saul's sin. Don't put that on David. And I, that's true, but please understand that if David had never gone there to begin with, and if David had been following the Lord, and if David had been magnifying the Lord, he would have never put Ahimelech in a compromised spot for the evil King Saul to do what he did. You see, when we're leaning on our own understanding, and we're magnifying ourselves, and we're promoting our own cause, we, in essence, end up putting other people in harm's way for them to then fall to sin and sin's consequences. So, the sermon this morning is how we are to magnify the Lord. I believe that we mag- when we magnify ourselves, we cause great harm to everyone. I believe that when we magnify the Lord, we bring great joy to ourselves and allow God to work a magnificent work in our lives. Now let me just pause right here and let's back up to where before David escaped. All right? Had God escaped out of the window uh, and his wife played cover for him, all right? Saul sends his men to get David so he can kill him, all right? Had God protected David up to this point, yes or no? 
if David had stayed put and Saul's men had arrived and arrested him, would have God been capable of protecting David? Yes or no? Yes. Um, God did not need David to run as a fugitive. God did not need David to do all of these things, these series of events that got him in trouble. God did not need David to lie to Ahimelech. God did not need David to eat the showbread in order to sustain himself. God could provide it for him another way. God did not need David to run into uh, Gath and uh, uh, put himself in harm's way. God did not need David to harm uh, uh, the priests and end up seeing them uh, be killed. God could have protected David, but David was magnifying himself. Listen, the point today is we must learn to magnify the Lord and His leadership in our life. When we magnify the Lord, number one, point number one, when we magnify the Lord, He cheers up the pessimist. He cheers up the pessimist. Look at Psalm 34 with me. Go back to Psalm 34 and to hold your place in 1 Samuel 21. We'll be, at, we'll be back there in just a moment. Psalm 34 and look at verse number one. Psalm 34 And look at verse number 1. The Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually, continually, continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name uh, together. Some people struggle with seeing the positive in life. Right? I am convinced that some of you If I had a glass that was 75% of the way full, all you would see is the 25% that's empty, right? I have a bottle of water right here, okay? How many of you here notice that there's about half an inch to the top, right? Oh, man, they didn't fill that up all the way, right? Um, I went to McDonald's one time, and I ordered a coffee, and I took the lid off, and there was about three inches from the top that they had not given me. That's cheating, right? I'm paying for a whole cup of coffee. What's up with that? You know what I was being? I was being a pessimist. All I could see was the three inches. I couldn't see the other, you know, whatever. I I got the biggest cup they sell. So the other 18 inches that were there, right? (laughs) I I want my three inches of coffee. What's wrong with you, right? And um, that's how some people are. They're naturally pessimistic. Okay, how many of you here are willing to admit that at times you are what I'll call a pessimist realist. A pessimist realist. Hold your hand up if you're a pessimist realist, okay? Um, If you're sitting next to someone and they're a pessimist but they're really not a realist, raise your hand, okay? No. um, uh, People that think they're a pessimist realist, oftentimes they end up just being a pessimist. They just end up being a pessimist. And you know what? We need critical thinkers in this world who see... uh, potential problems coming down the road and seek to problem solve and work through those things. But you must keep that in check because if you're not careful, you end up becoming negative about many things in life when there's so many things to praise God for. Now watch this. When we magnify our God, we find that there's nothing about Him for us to be pessimistic about. Nothing. If God was a glass of water, He's 100% full. There is no room to complain about anything. You know what, when I'm focusing on me and I'm focusing on you, there's plenty for us to complain about, isn't there? How many of you are willing to admit this morning that if I were to take a magnifying glass and look real close at your life, I could find something to complain about? 
For the rest of you, next Sunday morning, I'm going to be preaching a sermon on self-awareness. Amen? We all struggle, don't we? If you folk, look, if you look at me close enough and long enough, you're going to find character flaws. You're going to find shortcomings. I, I think it's hilarious. Some of you come on Sunday morning and you listen to me preach and you go home and, my pastor is perfect. My pastor is so wonderful. You go home and you tell all your family and your neighbors, I, I don't think there's a better man walking the earth than Pastor Lejeune. Come work here at the church for a couple months and you'll be going home complaining about some things in my, in my character, my uh, flaws I have. Um, you know, you preach. My staff is amening that. Um, uh, look, uh, the reality is the closer you get to anyone, you begin to see flaws. You, be, you begin to see uh, uh, quirks and, and ticks about them. And I'm no different, all right? I'm no different. Listen. You cannot get close enough to God to find a character flaw in God. The closer you get to God, the more you'll be amazed. He is as perfect as He seems He is. There is no shadow of turning in thee, the songwriter wrote. He is perfect. And you know what? When you take out that magnifying glass and you put it on God and you look extra close at His character and you study Him and you learn about Him and you magnify Him, you walk away and there's absolutely nothing to be pessimistic about. You walk away, your spirit is cheered, you're praising God because you have a God who is holy, He's just, He's awesome, He's perfect in every way. And as the psalmist said, in a downward time, he said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. It cheers up the pessimist. Number two, we see he calms the fearful. He calms the fearful. Look at verse number four of Psalm 34. It says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. I love, love, love the rest of this verse. Look here. And delivered me from all my fears. If you haven't already, would you circle that word all in your Bible? He delivered me from all my fears, all of them. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. Look at verse number 12. We see the opposite of Psalm 34, 4 in 1 Samuel 21, 12. Find your way over there. The Bible says, And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Now David wrote in Psalm 34 in another time of his life, he said, the Lord delivered me from all my fears. But in 1 Samuel 12, it says that he was sore afraid. Can you see the difference? When, when David was magnifying his own cause, his own name, his own well-being, he became filled with fear when he could not overcome uh, the, the impending danger in his life. But David said, when I magnify the Lord, all my fears, they melt away. All my fears are gone. All my fears are resolved. If you're here this morning and you have a heart that's filled with fear and you have a heart that's filled with uh, angst and, and you don't know what the future holds and you're wringing your hands and you're concerned, let me say, the way you overcome that is to take the magnifying glass off of your own emotions and put the magnifying glass up against a God who is perfect and loves you in every way and your fear will melt away. All your fears will melt away. It is reported that the newspaper counselor Anne Landers receives an average of 10,000 letters each month. 
and nearly all of them from people burdened with problems. She was asked if there was any one of them which predominates throughout the letters she receives. And her reply was the one problem above all others seems to be fear. People are afraid of losing their health, she said, their wealth, their loved ones. People are afraid of life itself. Despite what they say, 90% of the chronic patients who see today's physicians have one common symptom. Their trouble did not start with cough or chest pain or hyperacidity. In 90% of the cases, the first symptom was fear. This is the opinion of a well-known American internist as expressed in a roundtable discussion on psychosomatic medicine. This is also the consensus of a growing body of specialists. Fear of losing a job, fear of old age, fear of being exposed. Sooner or later, this fear manifests itself as, and in quotation marks, a clinical symptom. Sometimes the fear is nothing more than a superficial anxiety. Sometimes it is so deep-seated that the patient himself denies its existence and makes the rounds of doctor to doctor taking injections, hormones, tranquilizers, and tonics in an endless search for relief. Now, whether or not you agree with what I just read, I think all of us can agree that when someone is hyper-focused on fear, it can drive all sorts of health problems in our lives. And my friend, you must be careful not to let fear dominate your heart. You say, Pastor, I'm just naturally a fragile person and, and, I, and I'm naturally emotionally weak and, 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 and I'm a basket case and I know it, Pastor, and, and everything gets me worked up and afraid. You say, Pastor, how do I overcome that? Well, listen, when you magnify yourself and you magnify uh, the inabilities of you and you magnify the, the, the shortcomings of those in your life and you magnify how other people have let you down and you magnify how systems fail and fall apart and and you magnify the wrong things what you're going to have is plenty of reasons to be afraid but when you put the magnifying glass on the lord who loves you and made you and cares for you all your fears melt away all your fears melt away now i'm not saying to throw caution to the wind i'm not saying to act in a way that's brash and foolish i'm not saying to do something that uh, common sense would uh, defy but what i am saying is not to live a life where you are robed in fear and you're afraid of your own shadow and you're afraid of what is around the corner you see when you magnify the lord he cheers up the pessimists and he calms the fearful number three we see he conserves the reverent. He conserves the reverent. Look at Psalm 34 and look at verse number 7. Psalm 34, verse number 7. The Bible says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. What a verse. If you're wondering if guardian angels are in the Bible, look no further than Psalm 34, verse 7. Now, some of you missed that. Look back at it again. Let's read it one more time. In fact, let's read it together. Think about what you're reading. Ready? Here we go. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Wow. I think about the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I've got the presence of God dwelling inside of me. And then I have the angel of the Lord insulating me. How many of you here have ever been... Uh, in a uh, spot where you think there was divine intervention or I would have probably either been really hurt or died right there, right? 
I was sitting in uh, traffic a few years back, and the guy in front of me at the traffic light was looking at his phone. And uh, he was the first one in line. Can I just say, if you're the first one in line at a light, don't be looking at your phone. You can be looking at that light. Especially when the you know green arrow is only green long enough to get three or four cars through. And then you're just sitting there, right? And so uh, the light turns green. And um, I give him a moment. And he doesn't go. And uh, I hit my horn. And then he puts his phone down and looks up. Oh, the light's green. And then he goes, and by the time he went, the light was red again. And I am just, you know, smoke is billowing out of my ears. And if I wasn't a Christian, I probably would have said some words I shouldn't have, some wordy dirds, right? Um, uh, but I didn't cuss. I was really upset. I'm sitting at this traffic light, and I'm waiting now for a whole other cycle so I can go through. And lo and behold, shortly after he went through that light, a car accident happened right in front of me. You know what I realized? God was looking after me. He was putting his angels around me. Look back at 1 Samuel chapter 21. Look at verse 14. 1 Samuel 21 verse 14. We're going to read through the first verse of chapter 22. The Bible says, Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see the man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Uh, Shall this fellow come into my house? Look at verse 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And with his brethren and all his father's house heard it. They went down thither to him. Now, um, was David where he was supposed to be? No. But was David still a child of God? Yes. And did God still put his angels around David to protect him? Yes. Aren't you glad that even when you're not faithful to God, God is still faithful to you? Aren't you glad that God never takes a day off on loving you and protecting you? You say, well, but God's let some hurtful things happen in my life. Understand that everything that's hurtful that's happened in your life, God has very carefully allowed that to happen for a very, very specific reason. It isn't that God fell asleep on the job. It isn't that the angels uh, that the Lord put around you failed to do their job. God is in charge. He's very well insulating and protecting you. You say, well, Pastor, I thought you said it was a bad idea to be fearful. And the, the question for I would ask you today is, who or what do you fear? Because when we fear man, we are afraid of man. But when we fear God, we are not afraid of man. I will not fear what man can do unto me. You see, when I put the magnifying glass on God, what I see is a God who is perfect in every way. And a God who loves me beyond any level of explanation. And I can find, while I I reverence His holiness, and while I reverence His power, and while I am afraid to cross God because I know what He's capable of, I also understand His goodwill, His tender heart, His love for me, and how He pours out that mercy on me every day. But when I magnify myself, you know what I find is that there are some situations I can't get out of. And I'm speaking to you as a man who loves to be self-reliant. In fact, I love to be self-reliant on such a level that sometimes, I'm just being honest with you all this morning, sometimes I have a hard time taking some things to God in prayer. Because I think I can do it. Right? I, I am tempted to lean on my own understanding. I am tempted to lean on my own strength. 
I am tempted to lean on my past experiences. I am tempted to say, well, you know what, God, I've got this, and if I need you, I'll call you in for backup. Now, that's not the right way to go about things. And when I do that, I'm wrong. You know what I find, though, is I get deep enough into a problem and I can't find my way out, and then all of a sudden, I become fearful because I can't. But if I could rewind back to the beginning of this and just say, God, if I had invited you in from the beginning and I had been following your plan all along, boy, it might get dicey sometimes, but there's never a reason for me to fear because I know who's in charge. Right? How about when we're putting our faith and trust in others? We live in a, we live in a world where the government has become God to so many people. And I'm going to tread carefully here. But I just want to say this. Never let government be your God. You let God be your God. You rely on Him first and foremost for everything in life. You put Him first. There are government programs in place. I'm not against all government programs in every case. I think that there are times where government programs are necessary to help people who are going through some difficult, uh, difficult and challenging time in their, in, in, in their life. And I thank God that it's there to help people uh, during challenging times in your life. But you make sure that you treat those government programs like a hammock, uh, or rather like a safety net, not a hammock. Amen. You make sure that it's there to catch you when you're going through a hard time. And you get back up. The Bible says, if a man does not work, neither should he eat. Some people are not capable of working, and those systems are there for them. But if you're capable of working, you land in that safety net, you get up, you dust yourself up, and you bootstrap your way to the top, and you do the very best you can. Don't you let government be your God. Let me tell you this right now. Government eventually will fail you. I'm looking at an American government that's got $30 trillion in debt. We keep spending money we don't have. One day, lenders are going to come calling on our loan, and our government is going to... Uh, bankrupt, going to have to file for bankruptcy. And our dollar, you think inflation's bad now, our dollar's going to inflate up to wazoo and won't be worth much of anything. And I'm not here to be a doomsdayer. I am here to say that if you put your faith and trust in anything but God, uh, you will have reason to fear in time. You put your magnifying glass on the Lord and you trust on Him to get you through, my friend, God will never let you down. God will always be there for you. There's a story told about a young lady. Let me back up before I share the story. I do not know the validity of this story. This story could have just been made up to be a preacher's illustration. It may not have any validity to it. Uh, I have not, I just want to state up front, I have not confirmed the source, okay? But uh, nonetheless, this type of thing very well could have happened and uh, very well probably has happened somewhere in the world at some point. Stories told about a young lady who was coming home from work when her car broke down. To get home, she had to walk through a back alley where there were a bunch of single men, rough customers, hanging out. It was late at night, and she was totally defenseless. She prayed and prayed as she walked past these men for God to protect her. She passed through the alley. She was basically ignored by all the men there as she walked by. The next morning, she turned on the local news as she was getting ready for work, and she saw that these same men who she had walked past had been arrested for raping a woman in the same alley that she had walked through just a short time before. In time, she went down to the jailhouse. She approached one of the men, and she asked the man why they had not attacked her. One of the men, uh, the man that she uh, confronted said to her, Well, we remember you walking by, but why would have we attacked you? You were surrounded by a group of men escorting you through the alley. 
You know, the Bible talks about, you know, uh, entertaining angels unaware. Entertaining angels unaware. She couldn't see those angels. But the men could. You say, oh, pastor, come on, that's a stretch. Did that ever actually happen? I told you up front, I don't know if that actually happened. But I know it could happen, and I know something like that has happened. You remember the story of Elisha? Elisha woke up, and, uh, you know, the way I see this story, and maybe I've uh, Americanized a little bit, but Elisha, uh, he walks out, and his servant is pacing up and down, and his servant's wringing his hands, and his servant is scared out of his mind. That much we know. Elisha walks over to his coffee maker. He turns his Keurig on and puts his coffee cup under there, and he makes himself a cup of coffee and adds his, you know, uh, um, uh, sugar or, or uh, artificial sweetener. and He's older, so probably he's artificial cr- sweetener. And he puts his cream in there, and he's sitting there, and he's leaning against the counter, and he's sipping his coffee, and his servant's pacing up and down. He says, Elisha, what's wrong with you? We're surrounded. The army's out there, and they've got us surrounded, and, and they're coming for you, Elisha. They're going to kill us. And Elisha's like, man, settle down. We're, we're fine. Can't you see the army? And Elisha says, I, I can see an army you can't see. He prays and says, Lord, open the eyes of my servant so he can see the angels. And the eyes of the servant are open. And behind the army that was there to get Elisha that had him surrounded was an army of angels that had that army surrounded. It's like in the movies when someone's pointing a gun at you and then three people come in from behind and point a gun at him. Right? And uh, the, the, the army is struck down by blindness, and Elisha leads them right into custody because uh, they're struck down by blindness by the angels. Listen, when we magnify ourselves, we live in fear. But when we magnify the Lord, He conserves those that fear Him. Number four, notice, He comforts the afflicted. He comforts the afflicted. Look at verse number 18. Psalm 34, look at verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. I like to define words. Look at, ver- look at the word broken, of a broken heart. That word broken means shattered, smashed, shattered and smashed. How many of you know what it's like to have gone through something so horrible that it felt as though the, the pump in your, in your chest, that heart, it just felt like someone had taken a sledgehammer to it and just whacked it real hard several times. Emotionally, it just hurts. If you're here today and you've ever gone through divorce, you know what that's like. You're here today and you're single and you've ever been in a really, um, uh, you've been into a a really serious relationship and had that broken off. You know what that's like. You're here today and never had a miscarriage. You you know what that feels like. You ever had a child die, a parent die? You ever had a leader let you down and disappoint you? You know what it's like to have a heart that's broken. A broken heart is one where even when you're not thinking about the circumstances, your heart still hurts. That word contrite, it says, And saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. That word contrite means crushed or despondent. Crushed or despondent. Look back at verse 18. Let's read it again for context. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. 
One of my favorite verses in the first five books of the Bible is Exodus 3.7. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Listen to this phrase. God said to Moses, For I know their sorrows. I know their sorrows. What God is saying in verse 7 here is not only do I know in my head, I know in my heart. I, I, I hurt in my heart for the hurt in their heart. Psalm 56 verse 8, the psalmist wrote, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? I'm sure that David wondered why God allowed Saul to chase him in circles all over the wilderness. I'm sure David wondered where God was during his time of affliction. This is a, uh, a hard truth. But God loved David so much that he allowed David to be afflicted. Is that hard to comprehend? That God would let you be afflicted because He loves you? If I see my son hurting and I love him, I should step in and stop the pain, right? That's how we think. That's not how God thinks. Sometimes God wants us to suffer. God wants us to hurt. Because He's using that as a fire to refine us. Some lessons are only learned through painful experiences. How many of you have gone through a hardship and you look back on it after you get through it and you're emotionally recovered or most of the way recovered? It's far enough behind you. you get enough perspective. You look back on it and say, wow, I really grew because of that pain. God loves you enough to let you hurt in order to grow you. I'm glad to know that in times of my life where I've been really hurt, that I have a safe haven. I can run to my knees in prayer. I can run to the pages of Scripture. And I can feel the love of God being poured all over me. I can feel the comfort of God lifting me up. As I magnify the Lord in my hurt... He pours down comfort on my affliction. Oh, Christian, please don't make the mistake of walking through a valley without your God. Please don't make the mistake of suffering without your Savior. You see, when you're suffering and you're afflicted and you turn to God and you magnify Him, He comforts you. Let's say the blanks together. We get to the word in the blank. Uh, say it with me. Ready? Here we go. Number one, he cheers up the pessimist. Let me hear you now. Number two, he calms the fearful. Number three, he conserves the referent. Number four, he comforts the afflicted. Number five, and lastly, notice, he cleanses the trusting. He cleanses the trusting. Look at Psalm 34 and look at verse number 22. The Bible says, The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants. And none of them that trust in him shall be 
desolate. Here in the Old Testament, we are given a verse that talks about redemption. Why did David need to be redeemed? Can I tell you why? Because he had been magnifying himself. He had made a mess of things. Ahimelech and and 85 priests are dead because of David's poor decision making. Now stay with me here this morning. David needed to turn, turn it around. He needed the redemption of God on his life because he had made a mess of things. And David says here, he says, I found the redemption of God when I learned to trust in Him. Boy, when we magnify the Lord, what we're seeing is we're seeing a God who's impeccable and perfect in every way. That's someone we can trust. And we trust in Him and we love Him and He cleanses us from that doubt. The doubt just goes running away. When I was a teenage boy, I worked on a a, a fruit and vegetable farm. And I would go out in the field in uh, hot Alabama sun and I'd sweat and I'd get dirt all over me. And I'd tell you I'd get it under my fingernails and I did get it there, but I had dirt everywhere. I mean everywhere. I'd come home and the very first thing my mom would say to me was, get in the shower. And I'd get in the shower and I'd turn that hot water on and, and I would watch mud run down the drain. And I would scrub, I'd, 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 I'd soap up, suds up, rinse off, suds up, rinse off again, suds up, rinse off again. And, and I would scrub and scrub and scrub. And, and at least from, you know, where my shirt was on down, uh, shirt was off and down, I would have to scrub and scrub and scrub to get all that off and scrub and scrub. And sometimes I couldn't get it all off. And then I'd put the bar of soap down and I'd look at that bar of soap and the bar of soap was dirty. How many of you ever finished washing your hands and you got a dirty bar of soap? You didn't know it was possible to have a dirty bar of soap. But the, the, the bar of soap's got mud on it. It's caked down in. And, and, and listen, you, you get under the shower of the Word of God. You get under the shower of the presence of God. You spend time with Him. You magnify Him and you watch the doubt just go washing right off of you and right down the drain. He cleanses the trusting. I wish I could tell you that I trust God in every situation, every time. But because I'm a flawed human being, I don't always do it. Boy, I'm much better at it now than I was ten years ago. There are areas where I still have faith that is weak and can improve. When I get in the presence of God, you know what I have, I'm left to think? Why did I ever do anything but trust God? Why did I ever put any faith in me? Why am I ever not trusting God? I need to trust Him in every circumstance. Is your life a mess because you've been magnifying yourself? Well, my schedule and my kids and, and, and we can even go as far as saying my home and my, my church and, and, and my ministry and my this and my that. And, and you're doing the right things, but you're not doing them with the right reason. And the next thing you know, we're discouraged and despondent because we're magnifying ourselves. It's high time we learn to magnify God on a whole other level in our lives. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed. I want you to enter a state of prayer right now. I want you to enter a state of self-reflection. And I want to ask you this question. Do you magnify yourself? Or do you magnify the Lord? Are you magnifying others around you? Or are you magnifying the Lord? David made some mistakes and he turned around and got it right and he encouraged others. He said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And as the pastor this morning, I want to say to each one of you, 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's take the magnifying glass off us. Let's make much of God. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, my magnifying glass has not been where it should be. I've not been magnifying the Lord like I ought to. Pastor Lejeune, would you please pray for me that I'll get this adjusted in my life. Here's my hand. Pray for me that God would be first and foremost. The magnifying glass would be on Him, solely on Him. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm that person with a contrite spirit, a broken heart, going through some difficulties, some real, real struggles in my life. Pastor Lejeune, would you please pray for me that God would comfort my hurting heart during this time of difficulty. Would you hold up your hand if that's you? Hold them up for just a moment. I want to make sure I see each hand. That way this week I can take time to pray for you. I'm, I'm looking around to see who has their hand up. Amen. I want you to know that as your pastor and friend, I'm here to help you. If you ever want to give me some of the specifics of your trial, I'll come along your side and I'll bear your burden with you. I'll pray for you. Please let me know. Reach out. I'll be in prayer for you.